Greetings to the brightest audience in the country and welcome to the Dominic Enyart Show. Yesterday, we were covering the conference that I attended, Free the States. I say I attended, really, there was a large caravan of us from Agape Kingdom Fellowship who drove for eight hours to Kansas uh, to be part of this conference, and it was such a blessing. There's really no greater joy than serving the Lord alongside fellow believers. Uh, so this was a huge blessing to my life. Uh, but this conference, it was something else. Usually you hear about a conference, you go and you listen to a bunch of people talk, you do some networking. No, this is not what this conference was, not at all. This conference was about getting believers in the trenches, getting believers on the front lines, getting us active, getting us preaching the gospel. And so the conference uh, uh, yesterday, we were covering some of what the conference stands for in terms of abortion. Uh, today, we'll cover a, a little bit more of a day-by-day uh, review of the conference. And so the conference day one, and let me tell you, this was an emotional roller coaster of a week. And so Agape Kingdom Fellowship, my church, we caravaned out there, out to Wichita. And for any new listeners, Colorado Right to Life is composed mostly of members uh, who attend my church, Agape Kingdom Fellowship, my church, just the church that I attend. I don't uh, pastor the church. Uh, but so we leave Colorado, we get there, get some sleep, and then it's day one of the conference. Our group from Colorado, we show up at the conference and we see this person as they're you know setting up, we see this person there who looks familiar. And I remember my pastor, who he is now also the president of Colorado Right to Life, my pastor, Will Duffy, he came up to me and he said, hey, you see that, you see that person like sitting right there? I'm pretty sure that is the Denver transgender reporter who has been covering Colorado Right to Life. And I use that word covering in air quotes because it's a transgender covering uh, our a Right to Life group. And so you're not really going to expect the most favorable coverage, but it is what it is. Um, and now some quick context with this. This transgender reporter, he goes by Heidi, Heidi Beetle. And I think his real name, his dead name as they call it, his real name is Sean. That's what I've heard, but I'm not sure. And as Christians, we do not feel comfortable um, feeding into his confusion. So for the past few months, we've just been calling him by his last name, Beetle. Um, anyways, um, last time we saw this guy was at the Denver Capitol about three weeks back when our group was testifying for an abortion abolition bill. And the time before that was during the Denver March for Life slash March for Abolition. And he inter interviewed a few of us there. He interviewed me, a few other uh, Colorado Right to Life folks. And we suspect it was him who called a large gro group of, essentially they were Antifa wannabes, uh, to our march. And there was a speech going on and um, this group of Antifa wannabes, they showed up. They were violent. They had kids, uh, like we had kids with us, yet they were still there and violent. 
Uh, Biff Gore, many of you longtime listeners know the name Biff Gore. He was president of Colorado Right to Life for many years. Uh, They were violent with him. Um, They had ball horns. They were screaming profanities and sexual degeneracies at children. And uh, they had whistles, just like the worst people in the world. And I had a guy, he blew a whistle directly into my ear. And my roommate was there. And that same thing happened to him. And we're, we're both pretty sure that we have permanent hearing damage from that because it still hurts. And that was, uh, I don't know, that was maybe, I forget how long ago that was, maybe a month ago. Um, regardless, I think it was Beetle who brought them along, brought those Antifa wannabes along because A, he was there talking and ready to cover the conflict before Antifa even showed up. And B, um, because... Just a few weeks prior to that, he had tweeted out that he believes using violence is a valid, a valid, valuable political tool to try to uh, change the opposition. And so notice the difference between the two sides. The pro-choice side, they say, if your enemy, uh, if they disagree with you, be violent against them, hurt them pound them into submission, whereas uh, the pro-life side, the uh, abortion abolition side, we say, let's preach the gospel, let's share the good news with our enemies, let's love our enemies as Jesus taught. And so uh, we're not totally sure, but we we, we think it's him at this conference. We see him uh, from behind, and I, I look at this person, and I, I'm trying not to sh- like to stare at him. He's kind of in an awkward spot. And we're faced with this dilemma. We're faced with this dilemma. Do we go to the conference leadership and warn them, hey, this lady might be a guy who is okay with violence, or do we not? Because if it is him, it's good to you know tell them and let them know and warn them. But if it's not him, and it's just some normal lady... And some people think that she's transgender. That is going to crush her, and so we're not we're we're not wanting to do that. Um, and so we're thinking about it. When one of the guys in our group, Scott Shamblin, he's a great guy. He's the Colorado Right to Life photographer. He says, "Hey, at the Capitol when we were testifying, I caught Beetle in the background of one of my pictures of um, of Will Duffy and." So we compare the two, and sure enough, this is the dude. This uh, He's the Denver transgender reporter, a man who calls himself a woman, who's okay with violence against the right, and he shows up at this event in Kansas. It's bizarre. He's a Denver reporter, shows up in Kansas. Um, I didn't even believe it at first. I thought there's no way that this guy came all the way out to Kansas. But so we figure that out. We tell the conference leadership that there's this, uh, we're this Denver group and we brought along a, a stowaway with us pretty much. And they go, they speak to him. They say everything, then it's okay. So whatever, the morning session begins. And if you recall yesterday, I was talking about how Free the States, this anti-abortion group, believes in preaching the gospel. And so every session of speakers that they had uh, it's basically it's just pastors giving powerful sermons, powerful you know fire and brimstone, get right with God sermons, and in fact I'll share links in the description of today's uh, broadcast. I'll share links to all of those, but these are powerful speakers, and my friend and I were talking about this transgender reporter who was there, 
And my friend said, man, these sermons are making me feel convicted as a, as a Christian. I wonder what they're doing to this guy. And so we were talking about that. We were praying about that. Anyways, the morning session breaks and this conference, it's about getting Christians active. And so when the morning session broke, what was the day's activity? Well, we had drop cards and we had a lot of drop cards. These are anti-abortion pamphlets. They said bleeding Kansas. That was the theme of the conference was bleeding Kansas. And bleeding Kansas, there's very interesting state history there about abolitionists who fought against slavery in Kansas. And now, well, uh, we are the abolitionists fighting against abortion in Kansas. And in both cases, it's bleeding Kansas. And so our group, there are hundreds of us. We go all throughout Wichita, Kansas, and we drop tens of thousands. I kid you not, tens of thousands. I don't know, probably what, maybe maybe about 70,000 of these drop cards all over Wichita. They are everywhere. And we do that all day. And uh, we're not you know, throwing them on the ground or anything. We're handing them out, placing them on cars, stuff like that. Um, actually, actually, there was a bit of a funny story there. Uh, we agree that if a business asks us to leave, we're not going to fight it. We're not going to argue. We're just going to leave immediately. We don't want to be uh, disrespectful of, you know, company's parking lot. Um, but as a funny little side note, side story in the middle there, uh, there was another group of abolitionists who went to this one parking lot. It was a store. I think it was a Dylan's, and they were just there. They were dropping off some cards on, uh, you know, some windshields and whatnot. And the owners of the uh, Dylan's, rather than asking them to leave, they called the police. And so the police came. The police asked them to leave. No big deal. It was all fine. Anyways, all of that was completely unknown to us because there's, you know, hundreds of abolitionists in the city. So my group, we were also, you know, just driving around looking for parking lots to, you know, pass out some uh, pamphlets on and leave some on some windshields. And so we get to that exact same parking lot, maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes after that first group of abolitionists was kicked out by the police, the exact same parking lot. And so we park or we get out, we start dropping off these pamphlets and windshields. And there are police there instantly who just come up to us. They say, hey, we've given you guys a warning already. We told you to leave. And we were just there like, no, that wasn't us. That was a different group. Uh, and so like not even we just got here not even three minutes ago. Anyways, my entire group, we got a verbal trespass, which I've never had that happen before. But that was that was kind of exciting. I feel pretty cool, pretty, pretty edgy about that one. You guys know me. I'm I'm real edgy. Um, but no, uh, one of the, the kids in my group, this kid, Nico, he's I, I don't know. He's maybe uh, 12, 12 years old, maybe a little bit younger than that. I, I don't know exactly. Um, I want to say he's 12. He's a real, real neat kid. Um, but he had cops coming up to him and giving him a verbal trespass, but the kid held his own against the cops. And so uh, it was a good time. Uh, they kicked us out. One of our guys, uh, as we were being kicked out, gave a pamphlet to the police officers, which I thought was pretty great because as Christians, we should love even uh, the police and give them, uh, you know, the gospel, even as they are kicking us out. Uh, but so the conference, um, we dropped off maybe about 70,000 of these cards all across the city of Wichita. And we were checking local media and the news and, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, all that stuff. And the people of Wichita, well, 
Uh, let's just say they were aware of our presence. Um, and so anyways, uh, we uh, we go back to the conference center for the evening. We sit through a few sermons. They're really awesome, compelling sermons. Again, I, I'll link to them, and uh, you guys should definitely check the, those out. And so these night sessions, they go real late. It was about 9 p.m. maybe when my associate pastor, Brian Enyart Jr., he texts the men of our group, and he says, hey, this transgender reporter, this dude who says he's a woman, let's go and let's just take him out to dinner. Let's go talk to him. Let's have a dinner with him. And so one thing leads to another and he agrees, which is surprising. Typically, um, you know, people who are so opposed to us, they wouldn't be willing to get dinner with us. And he agreed. And so we all decide to walk to this restaurant near the conference and Beadle, he walks with us. And now I will note that that alone is enough to tell you that he is not a woman. There is not a woman in the world who would be willing to walk alone at night with a group of like six random guys who he barely knows uh, into a dark city that they are not familiar with. But he did that. So he is very obviously not a woman. That is not uh, the thing uh, that women do. But anyways, uh, we get to talk to him for a few hours. We talk to him about transgenderism. We talk about identity. One thing that Brian was saying, which is, you know, so sharp, is that we don't believe that your identity is just this thing that's found within you and you have to find it and be true to it. But rather, you choose what you want to be. We have free will. And if you just let go of the reins and just do whatever your heart tells you, well, your heart is deceptive and wicked above all things. And so if you're just going to follow your heart, that's what you're going to become. You're going to become deceptive and wicked above all things. And so we got to talk to him about that. Uh, we got to talk to him about the gospel. We shared the, uh, the gospel with him. We shared some evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, he was talking about the problem of, of evil. How could God be all-powerful and all-loving if he allows suffering in the world? Uh, which um, he wasn't really rotten about it or anything. He was, you know, friendly and talkative. Um, but so actually, and that was a topic which I recently had the honor of covering at Agape Kingdom Fellowship. How does a all-powerful and all-loving God, why does he allow suffering in the world? And I got the, the chance to share this with him, that there's a medical condition. I, I think it's called SEPA. I think it stands for, um, um, I, I don't remember the term, something insensitivity to pain agitation, I believe. Um, anyways, what it is, is there are people who basically will not be able to feel pain or feel very little pain. And these people, it's they have awful lives. It's absolutely miserable because they don't have pain. And it turns out pain is something useful to us. And so these people who suffer from this, uh, I think it's chronic insensitivity to uh, painful agitation. That, that might be, don't, don't quote me on that. I think that's what it is. But the people who have this condition, because they don't feel pain, their lives are so difficult. When they wake up in the morning, they have to, you know, like open their eyes, look in the mirror, make sure they didn't scratch uh, their eyes in their sleep. They can't run outside because if they run, they'll bruise their feet without even knowing it. Uh, they can't cuddle with someone because they will start to overheat without realizing it. They can't take a shower without a, a thermometer because they might turn the water up too hot. And 
it it serves as a very helpful teaching tool to us that when we look at these people, we see that pain, pain is a tool which God has given us to sh- teach us when something is wrong. And when something is wrong, then we need to fix it. And so that's true both with physical pain, but also with the spiritual pain of the world. And so we look out and we see that there is suffering in the world. We see that there is pain in the world. And what that is, that is God's megaphone that he is using to teach us that something is wrong. And what is it that's wrong? Well, you know, you break your arm, something's wrong. A doctor, he'll give you a splint and he'll fix up your arm. When we see pain out in the world and we see suffering and disease and heartbreak in the world, that teaches us that we are missing something. And the thing that we are missing, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. And so that pain is actually, it's useful to us. So like people refer to this as the problem of pain. I say the problem of pain, thank God for pain. Um, But so anyways, we get to share that with him. We get to share the gospel with him. And then we ended the night. Nothing much uh, happened from that. And then day two started. And we're we're all thinking, you know, oh, he's not going to come back. He's not, this isn't even a pro-life event. This is just a, a gospel event where we are preaching and spreading the gospel. We doubt this guy is going to come back. But sure enough, he shows up. Uh, we, the group, we all, a few hundred of us, we start singing the Psalms. We praised God. We heard sermons, powerful sermons, and then we hit the streets. And this time, rather than passing out pamphlets and drop cards, we had a massive march. We marched for a little over three miles with hundreds and hundreds of people, all with signs, bleeding Kansas signs. And we had some great conversations with passersby. And needless to say, the city was alive with activity, which is probably not typical for Wichita on a Thursday, Uh, but it was alive, it was buzzing, uh, we think mainly just because of our presence. Um, But we finished the march, it was a a three-mile march, and this transgender reporter, Beetle, he was there with us for the entire thing, he was just listening to these conversations, uh, taking in our material, and there was this one conversation. It was really kind of a dramatic thing. We walked past this high school, just coincidentally, and we walked past, and this girl walked out. She must have been, I don't know, maybe 17 years old. That'd be my guess. And she started talking with us. And it was really this kind of dramatic thing because uh, how, how the march was working was we were stopped at the red light. And so there was a big group of us all just waiting on the sidewalk going pretty far back. And then there's a, a courtyard next to the sidewalk. And then the school is beyond the courtyard. And the, co- the courtyard is completely empty. And then we see this uh, this girl. She uh, walks out and she starts walking towards us. And it's a very clear, you know, she's walking with intent. There are these Christians. She's obviously not happy, uh, seeming like she's probably going to start yelling some obscenities at us. And then she actually started talking with the leader of our group, Russ Hunter, who is really, really cool guy. Um, And she started off being pretty rude. And then Russ, he was preaching the gospel with her, sharing that with her. And 
she actually started breaking down into tears. So it was very dramatic. The Lord was definitely heavy on her heart uh, because, as it turned out, you could tell just because she was walking out to talk with us. You can tell by that point she had had an abortion and she had murdered her child. And so uh, Russ, he was preaching the gospel to her, was sharing that there is forgiveness in Christ. And she was talking, she was crying. And someone else from the school, they came out and they grabbed her and kind of dragged her back in. Uh, but even as uh, she was being dragged in, Russ was sharing the gospel with her. And she was, you know, kind of turning her head back and, you know, listening to it as. Uh, she was being brought back in. And so uh, we prayed for her and we can continue to pray for her. So definitely keep her in your prayers. Um, what, and a uh, quick side note, by the way, when you preach the gospel, right, there's there's power in the name of Jesus. We hear that all the time. We don't always give that the proper understanding that it deserves. But when you preach the gospel, it's bizarre. People treat you as if you are an authority. It's really wild. People treat you as if you are a religious teacher or something. I mean, I guess you are a religious teacher at that point. Uh, but, you know, if you ever go around and you see people screaming about climate change, everyone, they look at them and then no one really cares. They just move on with their lives. Everyone just ignores them. Uh, but if you go out and preach Jesus, people listen. People, listen, Jesus' name is powerful, and Jesus' name is the name above every name. So as Christians, it's very important that we do not forget that. But anyways, so we finish the march. Uh, we get back to the conference center for the night session. Once again, we hear the same you know, powerful sermons, um, and then we sing Amazing Grace, and we sing Psalm 2. Amazing Grace, you, you all know about that. And then Psalm 2. And Psalm 2, just, <laughs> just let me tell you, we need more churches singing uh, psalms, especially Psalm 2. We were singing, My son just ask of me, and I will give the nations of the earth for you to rule them with a mighty iron rod, for you to dash them all to pieces and then pound them into dirt until you spread your fame and power and love abroad to all the nations bow before the son of God. And so we're just singing this and there's beetle absorbing that. And it's just, it's, he doesn't make a scene. He doesn't say anything. He just goes along, just quietly listens and absorbs it. It's a very powerful song. Um, by the way, that the name of that song is The Heathen Nation's Rage by My Soul Among Lions. Highly recommend you check that song out. Um, that was that kind of became the theme song of the abolitionists for that uh, that week. It was really very powerful. Um, any anyways, nothing more interest of that night happens. I mean, the speakers who were there were powerful speakers. Again, I encourage you to check them out, but no drama or anything. And then day three starts and day three is a drama fest. This is, this is where the good stuff comes. This is where you get out the popcorn. Day three is the college outreach. And so uh, we show up for the morning sessions, hear some unbelievably powerful sermons, and then head to the local college, Wichita State University. And we show up with some signs, some pamphlets, and all, how would I say, all heaven breaks loose, all heaven breaks loose. I always love Doug McBurney. He always says, uh, all right, guys, give him heaven. And so uh, we showed up at Wichita State and all heaven breaks loose. And so we get there. And as we're setting up, I saw there was this circle of plaques. It was like a little, there was a statue in the middle and then a bunch of plaques around it. 
and this circle, it was paying respect to in influential women of history, pretty much. Today is International Women's Day, by the way. My producer let me know that. And I hope all of you women out there, you don't feel too insulted by this obviously patronizing holiday. Um, and anyways, we were uh, we were there, and I saw this, this there was a plaque for Mary, you know, Mary, the mother of God. And it said something pretty solid about her. Don't worry, I'm, I don't worship Mary or anything. But it said something nice about her. It was respectful. And then not 10 feet away from her, from Mary's plaque, not 10 feet away from Mary's plaque, and this disgusted me, it felt it was an insult to, ma to Mary just being that close to this awful person. Uh, not 10 feet away from her plaque was a plaque dedicated to Margaret Sanger. And right, where are the Catholics when you need them? Um, and let's actually, let's throw this up on screen. I got a picture of this. Let's read this. Uh, Margaret Sanger, 1879 to 1966. She believed women mattered, fought state and church for access to birth control, was arrested and jailed. She believed that every child should be a wanted child. That's how the plaque ends. And so that's obviously said to make Christians who oppose killing babies angry. And, well, let me tell you, it, it worked because this makes me uh, rather angry. Um, every child should be wanted is what this plaque says. That's what Margaret Sanger believed. Um, but if they're not wanted, you can just dismember them and discard them into a medical waste dumpster. No big deal, according to Sanger. Conveniently, this plaque, it forgets to mention that she spoke at KKK rallies Often, uh, she hired a Third Reich writer to uh, write for her, essentially her newsletter. She supported eugenics, like what we saw in Nazi Germany. Hitler based his reasoning on uh, many of the writings of her group. And actually, Germans quoted um, Sanger's group as a defense for their actions during the Nuremberg trials. Uh, she put Bland Parenthoods into black neighborhoods, hoping they'd all kill themselves off. And this was done in response to what was known as the Negro problem, uh, which her solution to that problem, and problem is in air quotes there, uh, her solution to that problem is working, by the way. The black population in America is declining because of Margaret Sanger. And so if you want any more reason to oppose Planned Parenthood, uh, there you go. And so it's an insult to women, or to Mary and to women, uh, but it's an insult to Mary to have her plaque so uh, close by. Regardless, seeing this plaque, it made it clear to us we are in enemy territory. Wichita State University, not exactly a, a uh, beacon for life in America. And so we had a lot of conversations. I had various professors come up to me. They'd spit out, you know, uh, one fact and then leave without me being able to give a response. I, I, I called one of them a coward. I did do that. Um, so I don't know. Perhaps I should respect my elders a little bit more. But if you want to give a fact about how it's okay to slaughter children because people have miscarriages or something um, and you don't even stick around to hear a response yeah no i i do not have respect for you and i uh i do think you are a coward and so to the uh to the staff at wichita state university if you ever end up hearing this i do think you are cowards i think you are pathetic bed who are not able to defend children and you should be ashamed of yourselves um but but with that said many of the students actually did earn my 
respect. Of course, they were obnoxious, rude, vile, vulgar, saying awful things to kids. Um, but after enough pressing, after enough questions, uh, they'd usually be willing to settle down and have a conversation. And they'd actually sit there and have a back and forth with you, which I respected. We got to share the gospel with these people. And I remember, I remember my pastor was there and his kids were, you know, they're now getting into their teens. And he said, man, the greatest thing about this is that my kids are going to see how stupid these college students are and never want to go to college. That's, that's the best thing that I could get out of the, this event. Um, and by the way, we aren't just saying that these, you know, this faculty and the, these students are stupid just to be rude. Uh, literally, my cousin who, I don't know, she's 14 years old maybe, I would put her up against any, the, the smartest person at this college and they're not they're not sharp and i mean it makes sense right the, the late great bob enyart he always said stupid doesn't make you sin but sin makes you stupid and when you defend the slaughter of children you sound very stupid and our enemies uh, they are very foolish most of the time but as our enemies we are the bible says we are to love our enemies and so we were there to preach to them we were there to spread the gospel with them and we got to do that and now there was this um there was this one girl there who we actually had a pretty good conversation she must have been 19 i, I guess and she was telling me this story about her father died when she was really little and then her mom got engaged to this other guy because she wanted a father figure for her daughter and then a week before their wedding um her her soon-to-be father he died and then that happened again I, i'm not sure the exact details but i think that happened three times so three father figures in her life died and she talked about you know how that was difficult for her how that was traumatizing and if you ever uh, you know, with abortion, abortion is traumatizing and she's dealt with trauma. So we shouldn't ever, you know, criticize anything that's traumatizing ever. And so I actually got to have a good conversation with her. I shared, you know, you listeners know my father and predecessor, Bob Enyart. He died about two years back. So we got to uh, connect over that a little bit. And I, I taught her that the Bible teaches that, you know, the, the God we worship, he is a father to the fatherless. And so if you want healing that you have to come to him. And I was a little bit disappointed with myself because after we were talking about that, she said, I did, you know, try reaching out to God. I tried going to church, reading my Bible and all this stuff, and it didn't work for me. And I, I forget what I said, but what I should have said at that point, and this is just a little bit of retrospective, you know, you know, I always want to figure out the best thing to say. I probably should have said, no, you didn't. You did not reach out to God. You did not read your Bible. You did not start going to church. And I know you didn't. Of course, that would make her upset. But I could tell her, I know you didn't. Because Jesus gives us a promise. He says, if you knock, the door will be opened. He doesn't say if you knock, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come. He says, if you seek after me, you will find me. And so... Uh, I know that she did not do that, and I wish I would have uh, pressured her a little bit more on that. But we had a good conversation, shared the gospel with her, and we were talking about abortion. And she was uh, she was mixed, so her I think her father was black and her mother was white, if I recall. And um, 
she was talking to us about how it's hard as a black gal. Then she kind of took a dig at us and said, it's all you white people here who are criticizing us. And I remember I was talking to her with my cousin, Brian Enyart Jr. He's the associate pastor at Agape Kingdom Fellowship. And we looked around and we're like, oh, well, there's, you know, you know, counter. We were like, we have, you know, we're pretty diverse. We have a, we have a good number of, of black abolitionists here. And she was like, yeah, but it's just, it's hard. It's difficult talking to all you white people. And Brian was like, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll go, I'll go grab a black abolitionist, which I didn't know you could say in public, but he, he did that. And he went and he grabbed a black abolitionist. I was talking to her and maybe five minutes later, he came back and he was like, Hey, he's a black abolitionist. You guys can talk to each other. And so they, they talked and uh, he actually had a very good conversation with her. He chastised her about being racist against my cousin and I, uh, which was uh, bizarre to say the least. Um, but anyways, um, I was talking to her and then another, I believe he was a, a preacher uh, who had just uh, become an abolitionist recently. We started talking to her and we were saying, you know, if you're concerned for the black community, you're talking about racial issues a lot. You should care that Margaret Sager started Planned Parenthood as a racist organization. She started it trying to solve the Negro problem. And I'm, you know, by put problem in air quotes there because that's what they called it. Um, and then she was saying, you know, well, hey, maybe it started this way, but now it's just, a, you know, a service for, you know, all these communities. And we pointed out that Planned Parenthoods are still primarily in black neighborhoods. And then the, the preacher who I was talking to her with, he made an excellent point, which is that you think, you know, maybe it just started this way, um, but that, that solution, quote unquote, the solution, it's working. It's working. And the, pla the black population is declining. And there are states like New York where more black babies are aborted than are born each year each year. And so uh, some scary stuff uh, from the pro-choice crowd there killing off the black population. Very, you know, not conspiracy stuff. Just look at the graphs yourself. Um, anyways, uh, so that was a, a eventful day. We got to talk to a, a lot of people there. And then we finally, we broke for the day, went back to the conference center, had the, um, the nightly session. And at that nightly session, we actually got a warning from the um, abolitionists. They said, hey, there's a group of Satanists who has shown up. And the Satanists, they've been violent. Like a week ago, they choked some guy um, and really scary stuff. And so they showed a picture. They said, here are the two guys who are kind of the ringleaders of the Satanists. And they said, just watch out for these guys. Try not to engage with them, whatever. And so we were like, okay, good to know, good to know. And then we hear these sermons. These people start preaching these sermons. And once again, that transgender reporter who's been there for all of this, he is there. And one of the uh, preachers, I, I don't recall the name off the top of my head. I, I wish I did. He was such a fabulous speaker. But he was talking about, how we live in a clown world where there's things everywhere that are just insane. And then he was saying, men who think they can be women, that's insane. And of course, that was directed directly at Beetle. And so um, that was 
fascinating. You know, he kind of was laying into him without without calling him out by name. But then at the end of the day, at the end of that nightly session, at the end of every uh, nightly session, we would all worship God and then get down on our hands and knees and start praying and singing hymns. And at the end of this session, we they said, all right, everybody, we're going to get down and start praying. And as I'm praying, I noticed as I'm getting down, I noticed that Beetle was also getting down on his hands and knees to start praying. And I a little bit was thinking, you know, oh, he's probably just not trying to stick out. He's probably just trying to, you know, not cause a scene and just go along to get along. And so we pray, you know, I've got my eyes closed. I'm just, you know, doing my thing praying. And then uh, we say the amen, everyone gets up and I look over and I wasn't sure about this. And I think someone confirmed it later on that Beetle was weeping, like weeping, like just crying bitter tears. And then I saw someone gave him a hug and then he ran off. And then one of the AHA guys, uh, Dusty Devers, who's one of the speakers, powerful speaker, uh, went and uh, followed him out. And then that was the last that I had seen of him. And so then late that night, um, a big group of us, we went back to uh, someone's, it was an Airbnb and we were singing Psalms. We were praying for, uh, the girl who we met on the, the street the other day, we were praying for Beetle. And then we got word from Dusty Devers, uh, that AHA speaker. And he said he had been talking to Beetle for many hours and that, um, Beetle was, he was, considering becoming a Christian and he was weighing the cost of should I become a Christian or not and can I become a Christian as someone who has done things to my body I don't know if I can do that and so you know Dusty Devers I definitely trust him to have that conversation and so they talked for a long while and it seems that um, Beetle that God is you know, weighing heavily on his heart. And so definitely to you in the audience, I ask that you uh, are, keep him in your prayers. Um, as members of Colorado Right to Life, we see him frequently. Uh, and so we're just praying for him that, you know, the Lord continues to uh, work on and through him and that um, those around him can be a light to him. And we pray that we at Colorado Right to Life, we see him occasionally. So we pray that we can be a light to him. So definitely keep Beetle in your prayers that the Lord would work on him. And then, so that was, that was pretty powerful seeing that. And so praise God for, you know, his, his mercy and his steadfastness. Uh, the next day we wake up, it's Saturday by this point, and we're about ready. We're about done um, with the conference. We still have an eight-hour drive back that day. And so we go to the morning session, and then we're about to leave. And the Satanists who were mentioned the previous night, um, we found out that they got access to our schedule. And so they were going to be following us around all day and just causing disruptance, being you know violent and all this stuff. And so the head of the conference, he asks the Denver group, because of course, I guess, I guess we are the, the ones to be thrown to the wolves here. But uh, he, he said, hey, we're going to change up the schedule because we don't want them to be, you know, ruining everything for everybody. But they still think we're following the old schedule. 
can you be a bait team of sorts to the Colorado people on your way out? Go, go to the the park that they think we're going to and just engage with them. And we're like, all right, the violent Satanists who have a history of being violent and awful. Sure, why not? That's that's a very Colorado right to life thing to do. And so we went, we engaged with them. We got to preach to them. And um, actually, I want to I throw a picture of this guy up on the screen. This guy was the most freaky looking dude. His name was Kyle. Uh, Kyle, he... Uh, and so th- these were the types of people who we were... Uh, talking to. And one of them, it wasn't this guy, it was another guy who looked equally as freaky. Um, We got into a conversation with this Satanist and I had, uh, he he was trying to discredit the Bible. And luckily we had just been through our worldview series on the Dominic and Yerich show. So I felt uh, equipped and ready to go with that. But he was asking me, he tried to discredit the Bible, and he said, all right, let's say you're walking along in the woods, and we just find this book in the ground, and the book, it talks about how this man, he jumped across the Grand Canyon to save us from our sins. Would you believe that? I said, just a random book on the ground? No, I probably, I probably wouldn't believe it. And, but I would believe it if there were corroborating details. And so we got into it and he was saying, let's say, let's say it wasn't just one book, but let's say we found like 60 books, 60 books written by a bunch of different authors, just like how the Bible was. Would you believe it then? And I asked, well, uh, would it have been, you know, written over these, you know, a period of, you know, a few thousand years? And he said, yes, it was prophecies leading up to this. And then uh, there was actual um, uh, like books where it talked about how he actually did it. And there were prophecies leading up to it. And then uh, a record of this guy actually jumping across the Grand Canyon. And I said something that I think caught him off guard. I said, yes, I would believe that. I would believe that because as we discussed on the Worldview series, one of the things that makes the Bible credible is that it tells a unified theme over the course of thousands of years from different authors, from different perspectives, and they all knew the same things. How could they have known these same things? How could they have told this unified message unless they had a unified author, which is God, which shows that the Bible is divinely inspired. Anyways, um, that is, there's a very powerful argument for the Bible uh, from that perspective. Go and check out my worldview series, my evidence for the, the Bible series. And so I got to get into that with him. That was a surprisingly, surprisingly pleasant conversation with a Satanist. Um, I also had a, one of the Satanists, um, she, which is a, just a bizarre thing to say, to, you, know, you were talking with the Satanists, but one of the Satanists, I was pointing at one of my our signs that showed the picture of a cute little baby who had been murdered, and I was pointing to the sign, and then she went and she licked the sign. As she was doing that, she licked me as she did that, and so I had to take a, um, a bath and bleach, and so that, that's been my... Uh, experience talking with Satanists. I can't say I recommend it, but even the Satanists are deserving of the gospel. We should even try to reach them. But so we had a grand old time in this conference. It definitely taught me that we can be 
bold with our faith. I would encourage you to be bold with your faith. I would encourage you to uh, preach the gospel, to come to events like these. If you come, don't worry. You probably won't. You won't get paired up with the Satanists. That was just a that was just a me thing, I guess. Um, but no, it's really a lot of fun. Really very encouraging. Uh, we see this, you know, transgender reporter who obviously is, you know, the Lord is working on him, and so we can. Uh, we, we're, we're shown that the Bible and the gospel does have power. And so I, I encourage you to harness that power to wield your influence for the gospel. Hey, that is going to do it for me here today. I am out of time. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe, like this video, hit the notification bell. All of that goes such a long way. Share this video uh, with your Satanist friends. Hey, I will see you guys next week. May the Lord bless you and may he make his face to shine upon you.